What's going on, y'all? Welcome to the Half Price Concessions Podcast, a podcast about everything from racing to life to bologna burgers and rednecks, everything we find interesting right here on this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Himalaya, Castro, Overcast, and the Pocket Casts app. Also on our website at anchor.fm slash hpcpodcast. Sit back and relax. The show is about to start. Here on the Half Price Concessions podcast, starting off 2020, and we are talking silly season. And my man, Buddy Payne from the Fluet Heating and Air Conditioning <laughs> Airport Hair Care and Tire Center, has, we been do able, it all. has been able to find some time for us once again. Welcome to the new year, buddy. Thank you, Bye. thank you. Welcome to you as well, T Bone. Got a big outlook coming for us this year, man. I'm. I, it, it'll be interesting to see how this thing goes over a year because we started, I think, in September. Okay. When we started the podcast last. year. So now I got now we got twelve months to fill. So exactly. We're either gonna no excuses. It's either gonna go really good or it's gonna <laughs> we're gonna run out of content. But uh, pretty good chance since in for most of motorsports we are in still the off season. Dirt racing kind of seems to have thrown the off season away, yeah. but it is what a lot of people refer to as silly season, mm-hmm. which. I think when I googled silly season, a lot of people use different use it for different things. Like some people use it for the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I guess if you if you're a clown, it's year round silly season. But in, in racing, silly season to us refers to the time in between seasons where you see driver changes, you see manufacturer changes, you see sponsorship announcements or sponsorships going away. Silly season is. I don't know why we call it silly because a lot of it's very serious business. There's jobs on the line. There's there's a lot of things happening. So maybe for us on the outside, it's not very stressful. But I got to imagine for a lot of these people that we talk about in, in what we're going to talk about in the show, that's their livelihood. They'd be like Fluet Heating and Air telling you, uh, you know, but we'll, we'll let you know about next year. And you're like, man, that's that's my income. That's my job. Exactly. Is that like, which band am I driving next year, or what color, or whatever? Uh, yeah. The, the silly season for me has always been like just the big, significant news and notes. Um, I mean, throughout the year, especially now with you know the social media and whatnot, like you, you already kind of know what's going on. Whereas like in years past, it was like some rumors, and and really even before that it was you just really didn't know it was just talking amongst buddies you know that shop talk kind of thing or it'd be cool if this guy drove here or you know what do you think's going to happen there and then that announcement comes out and it, and it really was like seemed more significant it's the same news it's just how it's being delivered these days yeah with social media and websites and just i think just the internet in general this information just passes around year round or as the year goes on where I think in years past I used to remember uh, NASCAR races when you'd get down toward the end of the season uh, sometimes you would see the driver swaps during the season mm-hmm. they wouldn't even wait till the end of the year they, they'd go ahead and swap or um, you would hear I remember on IndyCar broadcast hearing them talk about what engine was not going to be allowed the next year or what controversy was kind of coming and they had to do it during the broadcast because there wasn't that outlet like there right. is today and yeah you'd see like some of the driver changes they do it two or three races left in the year because they want to get the guys already in there kind of get a head start on the following year um, a lot of a lot of teams use that as like a test session pretty much um, not necessarily for the equipment but also for the personnel you know how's everybody going to mesh up and you know what, what do we have here I think also for motorsports it, it, it does kind of become year-round because like when, with baseball and basketball and stick and ball sports, you have a free agency period where players are, are being traded or being signed. You have a draft. And those are very specifically marked spots on the calendar. Racing doesn't really have that. And also in racing, there's money. There's, there's money kind of going back and forth between you know, certain drivers are bringing sponsors and that's why they're getting opportunities at certain teams or sponsors themselves are saying, I want to go over to this team, but I want to bring this driver. So I think in racing, it does a lot of it have to kind of stir up and start in the middle of the year because you got to line things up, you got to line people up and 
it kind of it, it really is year round. Well, sticking ball sports, you you know, just about everybody's on the contract. So the um, yes, you have your mid season trades and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, you know, everybody's on their contract. So those certain moves can only happen at certain times of the year. Whereas I know NASCAR drivers sign contracts in IndyCar and Formula One and whatnot. But some of your like really in dirt, you don't really have that contract kind of set up. It's a lot of these guys are just freelancing pretty much. You know, somebody hey come run my car for a couple weeks and you know if we do good we'll keep it going or you know guy gets injured and you come fill in for him it's a lot more just freelance um and, and that handshake agreements yeah pretty much like. like yeah just come run for me you know i got the car put together and i can't run it this weekend you come run it for me or whatever um and then you know guys that are following tours a lot of them they'll we'll we'll go down the speed week see how we're doing and how many times have we seen guys go run speed weeks have a bad speed weeks and march they're out of that ride you know yeah by april they're out of that ride so you know your other sports and and your other like higher echelon motorsports you got the contract to kind of help you out so i figured before we dive into what we're going to kind of do on this episode is a little different we're going to highlight some of the big off-season moves from this year in different disciplines of racing, but we're also going to look back at uh, moves from the past that now we look back on and just realize the significance of it. And they're significant at the time, but a lot of these just become more significant as time goes on. A lot of those will end up being driver swaps because at the time a driver changes and then you kind of see like, all right, this worked or this didn't. So we'll start off kind of with what's happened this year and we'll we'll ping pong back and forth and probably one of the biggest of the of the couple of things I noticed from this year was the off season move on dirt with the World of Outlaw Sprint cars. It was announced that Toyota will be building a four ten sprint engine to be used in twenty twenty one. So this is an announcement pertaining to still another year off, but still that it's coming out that Toyota's going to get into the sprint car engine thing. They've had development drivers that have been driving in the world of outlaws and Toyota affiliations kind of with certain drivers like Christopher Bell comes to name, but now they're dump now they're jumping into the engine thing and I got to imagine that raised a ton of eyebrows from these like traditional motor builders that are used to building, you know, Chevrolets and and now the Ford engine came out this year with Donnie Shots. Now Toyota throws their name into the hat. Yeah, uh, Christopher Bell running when he was running the midget stuff and sponsored by Toyota, but Toyota didn't have an engine, and he was a big proponent on, hey guys, there's you know money to be made here, and, and there's a name you can make a name for yourself because you know there's only really one or two kind of go-to engine builders anyway for the midget stuff, and so you know that whole team really. Uh, team of drivers, you know, really kind of pushed Toyota and then they got into the midget game and I mean look at what they're doing now. Um, so really exciting to see that in the sprint cars, um, you know, parity and is usually a good thing most of the time in motorsports. You know, now Ford has their engine, you know, so, you know, the more the merrier and I just, I like seeing that diversity instead of it just being one or two uh, main engine builders um, that guys are using. So I'm excited to see and, and TRD, you know, I mean, you see the success they've had in NASCAR and some of the other sports and, you know, they're not just, you know, tipping their toes in the water, man. They're going to jump in and they're going to put the money behind it um, and that's also going to open up some development rides, I'm sure. Uh, so very exciting news for the sprint car stuff. Very happy to hear that. I'm glad to see they're not just going after World of Outlaws. World right. of Outlaws is obviously the biggest name right. in, in, in sprint car racing, but also they want to make this block available and legal for All-Star Circuit of Champions, which is kind of a underbelly circuit, regional circuit that feeds into World of Outlaws, and some guys come back to that. Uh, USAC as well as not just making a 410 engine but also a 360 engine and I mean 360 racing and sprint car racing is I mean not everybody can afford to run a 410 and afford to run with the world of outlaws I mean there's a reason that there's a Knoxville Nationals for both classes of engines because there's almost I'd probably say equal participation or maybe more on the 360 side just because of the money and there's a slew of 360 sanctioned bodies like regional stuff more way more so than the 410 stuff uh, so I, I guess you can kind of compare it to super and crate racing on the late model side uh, it's just cheaper and like I said there's you can go to any track in any region of the country um, on you know any given night during the season and there's a 360 race going on somewhere uh, I mean as you know depleted as we are for sprint cars around here, we even have a few tours that, that shoot through the Carolinas. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely the market to get in for sure. And I think also just to kind of put a bow on it, it does show 
that the talent pool that these big racing industries are pulling from is really starting to get more diversified because if Toyota didn't think they had people on dirt worth looking at or prospects on dirt worth looking at or just people that come from that discipline, they would not put all this time and money that's going to go in to making these engines. There's, there is clearly, they are clearly seeing something. Mm -hmm. They're not just pulling people from, you know, late model ranks on asphalt or super late model ranks on asphalt. They have to see something on the dirt. It's Christopher Bell's probably the big point of interest because he's kind of their main prospect, but it's, it's bigger than just him that's drawn you know, you don't get a multinational corporation involved in this stuff right. off of just okay. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, or There's that, a purpose. That was cool on TV. I want to get involved with it. I mean, that and the amount of money and resources and everything that goes behind. It's not just a you know taking this chance on a whim. And I'm, I, I'm, I won't definitively say that the dirt stuff's like the pipeline into NASCAR, but we have seen major success here recently with Larson and Bell and, and some others. Whereas on both sides of that, the open wheel stuff like your midgets and sprint cars used to funnel in the Indy car well you haven't seen that in quite some time and the nascar stuff you know you still got guys going from trucks and bush but they're moving these kids up so quickly by the time they get the cup they're just not ready for that level um and with the way this car drive the way the car drives you gotta have that car control and everything you're gonna get more of that from the dirt you know pipeline coming in so it's a smart thing you know from the midget stuff to the sprint cars and eventually it'll be in the Toyota Cup ride, I'm sure. All right, so that was one of my first ones from this year. Buds, what's what's something you noticed this year that caught your eye in silly season? Oh man, so many, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of uh, driver changes, chassis changes, things like that. Um, on the dirt late model side, um, you know, no homer here, but the big thing with uh, Bloomquist, uh, the Team Zero coming together, hiring Cody Sumner, you know, over the year, and uh, just having a good business sense behind them and just the amount of changes that happened already uh, but of course they get the uh, the Drydeen sponsorship Drydeen has they're kind of new to the game in motorsports but they are pumping some money into it man and I love it uh, they sponsor you know shark racing on the sprint car side uh, I think they sponsor like the fast qualifier if I'm not mistaken uh, now they're kind of getting over into the late model side of things so um, they get the sponsorship uh, with Scott Bloomquist Racing, Team Zero, and yeah, Bloomquist. Now you have Chris Madden and Ricky Weiss all having the dry dean. Uh, Bloomquist has been running the Lucas Oil t uh, Series forever. Um, makes the big switch over to the World Outlaw Series. That's a, that's a big big news, um, especially for that driver pool. Because I'd say the last couple of years, you know, feel free to combat me on this, but I, I feel that the Lucas Oil talent-wise, top to bottom, was a little stronger than the Outlaws. Um, so to see. Uh, uh, see the Outlaws now have a stronger contingency. Um, that that was pretty exciting, and um, first time he's followed the tour since uh, 04, I believe, when he won the championship. So um, that was a big one. Um, that was a big one. Michael Rigsby was teasing that one that it was one of the biggest announcements in the last 10 years of dirt late model racing, and he caught a lot of flack from people after it came out. But I think he was right. Yeah. I think you name another sport where a Hall of Famer essentially changes organizations. Like if you said if you just said in 98, that not only is Michael Jordan not going to retire, but he's going to go play for another basketball association, mm -hmm. that would be humongous exactly. news. And I kind of look at it in, in that aspect. There's no comparison to the NBA, but with Derlay Model Racing and two national tours, I mean, that's huge. And the fact that you bring Chris Madden yeah. back to a national tour where his talent belongs. Chris Madden is a... He's raced regionally most of his career, but his talent is of someone who should be on a national tour. He's followed the, the tour twice and has finished second and third in the points. I mean, he, he's proven that he's belonged. You have a great young talent, Ricky Weiss, who's just, I mean, how quickly he's adapted to the game, uh, driving like a veteran out there, and he's not even in his 30s yet. So very impressed with that. Um, the, and, and with them switching over, then you have Shane Clanton, who's been a stalwart on the World Outlaw Tour for so long. Uh, him and Skyline Motorsports, uh, Tyler Bruning as well, you know, announcing that they, he's going to run full-time. They're going to Lucas Oil. Uh, that's another big one. Uh, Clanton's just been with World Outlaws so long, like it's, it's just a given that he's going to be there. So that makes that significant. And then you have a shakeup now on the Lucas Oil side of things, uh, just new drivers. Uh, and it's crazy to think, like, you, you, 
back to the Bloomquist thing, you know, he's in his 50s, been racing for 30 plus years, and he's going to go to tracks this year he's never seen before. Yep. It's crazy to think, you know, that's never, you know, that there's a track out there this guy hadn't turned laps on. Uh, so I'm interested to see how Clanton's going to adapt to some of the new areas that Luke Soil visits that the Outlaws didn't. Um, Clanton's, you know, solid top five guy pretty much uh, points wise throughout the years, a very good points racer. So uh, that'll be fun to see. I think another thing that comes with that is now some of those big crown jewel races that Lucas Oil has snatched up sanctioning on. Now Clanton, if he performs well enough, can earn a little bit, if, if he can earn like a provisional, like a series provisional, whereas if he'd have come over from Outlaws to run a big Lucas Oil race, he would never have had that to fall back on. So, right. and, and the same applies to Bloomquist on yep. the other end. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that has kind of come with the sanctioning bodies snatching up all these crown jewels. Now they're almost all sanctioned Pretty except much, for yeah. a few. Yeah. Uh, on the uh, sprint car side of things, um, so just some kind of big news. Uh, we've, over the last four or five years, we've seen the progression of David Gravel uh, from, you know, scratching to get the top 10, missing the show, you know, his, his first couple years to um, landing the ride with CJB Motorsports, almost winning that championship. Um, the big swing, uh, switching over to uh, Jason Johnson racing after Jason passed and, you know, his wife continues uh, and, again, finished third in points this year most wins ever hey, we've just seen him progress so much and to the point now to where his success from the truck race at Eldora this year has landed him a truck ride um, so I, I'm a little heartbroken because I really wanted to see him and Brad Sweet and Donnie Schatz you know yeah, the guy. I mean, you really can't pick between those three right now. Just the caliber of those teams. I really want to see a good full year of them battling for the Sprint Car Championship. But I'm never going to fault the guy for bettering himself. Uh, so very, very interesting. That's probably the one I'm most interested to see how he's going to pan out on the paved stuff. Yeah, it will. It, it will hurt to not have him in the points mix because he's not going to run full time. So he's not really going to be a championship contender because he's going to miss races. It's hard to say. There's been open wheel guys that went the NASCAR route and did succeed, and then there's been guys that struggled. And I think a lot of it and just ends up being what opportunity they get on the NASCAR side. I mean, you take Steve Kinzer, talent reigns supreme, but you put talent in bad equipment or subpar equipment, it, talent can only go so far on that side of the sport. So I'm hoping the opportunity that Gravel gets in NASCAR is one that is equivalent or at least worthy of his talent because, I mean, you see him race, how he won the Knoxville Nationals, the level that he was at all year. No, he was not in the top two, but look who was. Right. I mean, Schatz is probably greatest sprint car driver of our generation, and he's still dominant. He's not falling off a bit. Brad Sweet has gotten to that level. So, I mean, you can't fault the guy for not being in the top two. Look who the top two exactly, were. Exactly, exactly. And and outside of some bad luck, man, he he made he came on. I think the last five races, he accumulated more points than those other two guys who were fighting for a championship. So the, he's just progressed so much. And I think he he's he was very smart in this decision because he, unlike some of the other guys that just jump at the first opportunity of a ride, he's got really good just like a brain trust to people around him. Jeff Gordon. I mean, who That's else? That's a good exactly. one. To who, have. who else would you, would you wouldn't want to have with you? Uh, Gordon and him just formed a friendship. Gordon brought Exalta, his old Cup sponsorship, uh, for gravel at the Knoxville Nationals. So now you've got this massive corporation who don't know what the heck you're talking about when you say dirt racing at a premier dirt track, and they just and the love first it. race they sponsor, exactly. they win. And they win. <laughs> um, he's got former uh, Formula One driver Mark Weber you know, as a consultant. Uh, Mark Weber had a lot of success with Red Bull Racing back in the day so he, he's being very smart about it versus just jumping at the first opportunity to go run you know a truck or a bush car yeah another thing that kind of caught my eye over this off season was the announcement from nascar that they would not have a title sponsor in 2020 uh, they have shifted their business model to a point where they don't want to be reliant on one title sponsor. They've got four what they're calling premier partners in Bush Beer, Coca-Cola, Geico, and Xfinity, but it's the fact that for the first time since 1970, it will just be the NASCAR Cup Series. It won't be Winston or Nextel or Sprint or Monster Energy. And that one was a big one, and I see both sides. I see the fan who says this is a sign of 
how fall how far NASCAR's fall as far as popularity goes, but I also see the NASCAR side with the people that they've installed where they realized we need to change the way we do business so that we are not so reliant on that money because when Monster came in they gave it was way less money than Sprint and Nextel and Winston Cup did so I see both sides working it'd be interesting to see how it plays out most fans I know call it the Cup Series no matter who the sponsor is but it just it's such a I mean you go back to 1970 yep. was the last time there was not a sponsor on it that's just it was enough of a it was enough of a change when Winston left right. because Winston was there so long, and it's been a revolving door. But there's always been something there, so that's that's interesting. But then I kind of look at you know Formula One doesn't have a title sponsor, IndyCar's had one on and off. Uh, World of Outlaws it's usually two three years at a time, and then it switches, or sometimes it's just not there. So that will be an interesting visual. I'd be interested to see kind of how that works out as far as business goes. Yeah, that that's definitely interesting. With you know. As kids, it was always Winston Cup, Winston Cup, Winston Cup, and Winston's been around for so, so was so around for so long, and um, and likewise with the cars, you know, gone are the days of having one or two main sponsors throughout the whole year. Um, I mean, it takes upwards ten or so, you know, multiple sponsors, and you're going to have a different paint scheme every week. You know, almost seems like for some of these guys, but yeah, just gone are the days of those season-long commitments and just the the massive amount of money, you know given by one sponsor and it's just a change in the times i don't see it as a bad thing necessarily i just think it's it's different um and it's needed i'm i'm glad that you know the those four sponsors that you mentioned earlier are you know still involved and they still want to be a part of the sport and you know just financially they may not be able to be a title sponsor and that's okay you're still giving money and that's what we need so we can continue to enjoy the sport that we like um so yeah the when it switched from Winston and you, you went through the, the different phone companies sponsoring it and all this stuff, uh, like you said, I, even me, I just it's the Cup Series because yeah. I don't know who it is this month or this week or whatever. Um, but I think it's good. I think uh, they, they're still showing that support, and that's the biggest thing that, that's needed. Yeah, be interesting to see how it goes. I know there, there are other two series, the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series will still have a title sponsor, but the Cup Series uh, will not. So now... Those are kind of some of the big ones that we pointed out from this year. Now, be interesting to take a look back and just see some events or some silly season moves from the past that we kind of look back and saw as pretty significant. And we've got several different disciplines we can go through because we kind of talk about everything. But a lot of these we talked about before we hit the record button was they became significant years later. Mm -hmm. At the time, they might have been sort of significant, but as time goes on, they become more significant. As Brock chimes in on the show, yeah, <laughs> Buddy's gonna un Buddy's gonna unclip his mic for a second and go handle Brock as he's found something to bark at. But with NASCAR, with open wheel racing, with dirt car racing, there's change every year. There's shakeups every year. There's there's just different things that come in and out of the sport. So this will be interesting to kind of look back on some of the things that that came up that happened and now you look back and you see okay this was significant for this reason or this did not work out for this reason so i kind of start us off a little bit one of the things that popped out in my head just looking at uh, one of the off-season moves of nascar and i actually heard this on the dale jr download was about 1983 in the off-season when it was announced that dale earnhardt would be returning to Richard Childress Racing and replacing Ricky Rudd for the primary, the number three car at RCR, which is significant because at the time, you know, car owners usually had one car. Very few owners had multiple cars, so there was not really that option for a second car at RCR per se. They were only going to run one car. And Earnhardt, after he comes over to Childress briefly in 81, he goes and runs two years for Bud Moore with his Wrangler sponsorship while RCR gets themselves, their house kind of in order. Ricky Rudd fills the seat for two years and has success. Mm -hmm. I think he actually gives RC his first win as an owner, or he gives him a win as an owner in that Piedmont Airlines number three. Then Dale Earnhardt comes back. Ricky Rudd was, he actually said in an interview, he was he was very upset by that. He thought they were building something and he got leapfrogged by this guy named Earnhardt who was a one-time champion. But now you look back and you're like, well, look what it led to. It led to six championships and God knows how many wins with RCR. That that was pretty significant to me. Yeah, I, uh, 
watching you know videos and reading stuff like Ricky Rudd, like he he felt. I guess offended would be the best word, like, because he, like I said, he stepped in, had success. I mean, and there's no telling how successful he would have been, but I, this is no, you know, I was an Earnhardt fan, this is no Homer opinion, but I really, I think he would have had success, but not to the level that Earnhardt would have. Um, I don't know if that good wrench sponsorship would have come along um, with the Wrangler, obviously, and then the Goodyear, uh, Goodyear, uh, good wrench sponsorship. Um, but and, and Ricky Rudd did go on to have a decent career, but yeah, that was that was one you can tell kind of he took personal for a while, and there was always a little. Uh, I remember when the Intimidator stuff started hitting with Earnhardt, and Ricky Rudd was famous for saying, "Well, he don't intimidate me." Yeah, uh, he, just, <laughs> he, he, wasn't, he wasn't giving his due, man. He, he wasn't paying him the respect. Uh, but like we said, you know, I mean, you see the success that it had. So that was that was definitely the right move for Richard to make. Those guys back then, though, they were just all. That was a different level of man. I mean, Ricky Rudd's known as the guy whose eyes were so swollen. Yeah, he had to duct tape his eyes open so he go drive something. My kind of man, yeah. Maybe just that time in the 80s. That was just a different level of man as uh, Brock has attracted some attention over here in the yard. <laughs> we might need to hit the pause button real yeah. quick. All right, so we hop back in thanks to the commercial break provided by Brock the dog <laughs> here on the Pain Compound. Uh, yeah, just wrapping up the uh, the Dale Earnhardt comment, how he comes in to RCR, and I think honestly, I'm, it was probably good that Earnhardt did go away to somebody else because Richard Childress even admitted he had been running his operation as an independent because he was the driver and you know, he had not won any races. He didn't have the money to do so. He needed. I think that time to build his organization to a point, uh, at least build, kind of like building the foundation of a house to where it would be worthy of a talent uh, like Earnhardt's because if he'd have come over there and things aren't ready, that can sour their relationship and maybe you don't get the success that they had. And I, I think they needed each other. Yeah, and I think they there was just that common respect of how they got to the sport and and just that that old school mentality of, of you know building and working your way into it and just the, the success Earnhardt has with rookie of the year then championship and then you know then you struggle for a little bit but I mean still won some races here and there but I think that just that respect was there and all great relationships especially in, in racing all come off of we have the same goal same outlook you know respect kind of thing all right, so that's one of my ones from the past, buddy. Uh, what's something that you remember from the past silly seasons of whatever discipline that sure. kind of catches your eye now in 2020? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll say with NASCAR, just since we're on that uh, subject, and I think 2007 was a pretty significant one. Uh, you have you know Dale Jr. making the switch over to Rick Hendrick. Um, and then Kyle Busch um, going to Joe Gibbs, uh, getting out of the five ride there. Um, at that time, you know, juniors having success, you know, with DEI, and of course everybody, you know, just a couple years after, you know, senior passes, and, and everybody's just waiting for him to be that breakout, just like senior. Um, and that one was just significant so many ways because you had the big rivalry between Richard and uh, Rick uh, Hendrick there for a while, Earnhardt and Gordon. Um, you know, Jimmy, this is in the middle of, uh, or well, a couple years into Jimmy Johnson's tear. Um, so to have, you know, Dale Jr. kind of joining, you know, the villain that some of the Earnhardt fans saw it, that was big. And it, you know, it kind of took away a lot from uh some of the old guys that were still hanging on to that Earnhardt name. Um, and then, you know, he has success. He never really blows out blows out of the water like Senior did, um, which that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. <laughs> uh, ju just that, that was a big, that was a big significant move. Um, and then Kyle Busch, you know, he is having success at Hendricks. Uh, and then they boot him out uh, to make room. Was that when uh, Casey King comes over? Uh, Casey Mears was in the... Uh I think he was in a 25 car, okay. and I think they chose to, I guess, honor his 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 obligation. Whereas I think Kyle Busch's deal was up, so I think he was kind of just the easier one to okay. to to move. And boy, now looking back, you're like, oh boy, oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> look goodness. what he ended up doing. Exactly, at Gibbs. exactly. And, and then, like you just said, the you know, Kyle Busch, you know, joins with Gibbs, has a success as he matures as a driver. He's still kind of immature in the uh, post race uh, interviews and stuff, but uh, it's just as he matures as a driver, now he's a championship, you know, level. But uh, two big names of the sport at that time. And now looking back at it, you know, just some, you know, 12 years later, like, wow, those are, you know, two of the biggest names that we've seen 
um, over that span. I think Kyle really kind of becomes the face of Toyota's success in Cup. Yeah. Because he's the one, he's the multiple-time champion. He wins the most races. He has the truck team that is basically Toyota's uh kind of their their team in the truck series right. they get all the, the the majority of the toyota support he tried to do the xfinity program but he still won plenty of xfinity races i mean look what look what kyle bush became for toyota yep. whereas could have been just staying in a chevrolet exactly but we'll yep. never we'll never know uh a big one that stuck out to me one that just shocked but now it's like it, it's i hate to say it's uh it hasn't lost its significance by any means, but now it's kind of taken for granted. The announcement over the 1991 offseason in NASCAR that the 1992 All-Star Race, the Winston, would be a night race. And there's that big documentary on, on Fox Sports that they did about how they put the lights in and the technology that went into that. But just the fact that before that race, the only night race that NASCAR ran was Bristol, and that was with rented lights. They would bring in trucks, and that's a half-mile track. Lighting Charlotte Motor Speedway, which was a mile and a half, and not doing it with 10 million light poles, doing it the way they did it with the lights shooting up from the bottom off the mirror reflection. But just the significance of that, whereas now it seems like with the exception of Talladega and maybe a couple other tracks, every track has lights. Now even Martinsville yeah. has lights where back then the only tracks that had lights were your local short tracks because you had to have them for Friday night, Saturday night. So that to me, now looking back, it's like, now it's a given that all these big tracks you go to have lights, whereas in 91, it, it just wasn't that. So that, that to me, was extremely significant. Yeah, it was a big deal, the, the one hot night, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, and, one hot night. Yeah, the one hot night. And, uh, you know, Humpy and Charlotte Motor Speedway in general uh, have always been known for taking big swings, and they've had some that, you know, they fell flat on their face when they did the levigating deal and everybody's blowing tires in the Coke 600. But uh, then they've had some big ones like this. And, like I said, it kind of paved the way to all, just any track that's really been built since then. They immediately put the lights in which is you know obviously financially is a big undertaking but for the race fan and team we love it because if there's that rain delay or you know weather delay of whatever uh, issue they can still run the race you know off of a postponement versus canceling it and having to reschedule come back on the Monday or whatnot so um, yeah that was that was a big swing and obviously it worked out for him you know and then of course you had the crazy finish in that race yeah Davey uh, Allison yeah. ends up in the hospital does not <laughs> yeah, even get to go to victory lane exactly just the crazy fish. Uh, that was a big one that that, that worked out. Um, yeah. So we'll put a bow on NASCAR there. Unless you got another one you want to add in there. No. That's just burning up your soul. <laughs> well, no, uh, uh, just real quick, just one off the top of my head. And, I, you know, obviously I wasn't born when all this happened. But just looking back on it, it's like, man, that was a big swing and big success was when Darrell Walter goes to run for Junior Johnson. Oh, you yeah. You know, because they were. Before that, they was running the Die Guard car, wasn't it? That 88? Uh, and they, uh, they, they weren't necessarily the best of friends beforehand. So that was kind of one, like, almost like an oil and water mix. And you're like, okay, how's this going to work out? And then he jumps into that Junior Johnson ride and then just goes on that stretch where he dominates Bristol for, you know, all those wins. Um, it just has all that kind of, I mean, just amazing amount of success. Uh, that just, off the top of my head, that's one that really, you know, that, that's one that definitely panned out for sure. One I'm going to hold back in the holster for maybe another episode was 19, the offseason of 1970 when Winston gets announced as NASCAR's premier sponsor. I think I might say that might be a whole podcast in itself <laughs> as to what Winston meant to NASCAR drag racing, mm -hmm. every kind of weekly racing, everything that they touched from 71 up through 03, just how significant their sponsorship and partnership was. Sure. But that'll be a whole podcast. Right. Now, let's go to the dirt side a little okay. bit. Just things from the past uh, that stuck out to us, good, bad, indifferent, or shocking things. Um I'll start off on the late model side, just kind of one of the bigger ones here in the last couple of years was the announcement, uh, probably I think three or four years ago when it was announced that Josh Richards, the four-time World of Outlaw champion, um, I think he might be the all-time wins leader on that series, if not he's definitely close, it was announced that he would no longer be driving the rocket chassis house car that is owned by his dad Mark Richards and Steve Baker, he would be going to drive for best performance on the Lucas Oil Late Model Tour in the in the green number one that uh, Brandon Shepard had drove it, uh, Matt Westfall had driven that car, but for Josh Richards to not only shift cars but shift tours he goes and runs lucas oil um 
and it ends up working out. He wins the 2017 Lucas Oil title, um, but just the significance of that because that was a family ride, mm -hmm. and that's all that Josh had driven was that blue number one that is now iconic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredibly iconic. It has success with Brandon Shepard. Um, that team is probably the best team going in, in late model racing, and the fact that the owner's son would leave and go, and he had success with just him leaving. I mean, it's 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 hard to say now because NASCAR doesn't have that. NASCAR right. doesn't have family teams. It was kind of significant, like when Junior left yeah, Earnhardt Incorporated, yeah. but his dad wasn't around. Right. This was him leaving at his prime after success in his twenties to go run for somebody else. Yep. I mean incredible that one is it, still even to this day is a head scratcher and the build-up to that you know richards is you know pretty much the man to beat on the outlaws um but, i mean he's he's you know top three in points you know every year um and then he's another one uh kind of tying into what we talked about earlier that takes that shot in the truck uh series um and just Again, he was one of those guys, unfortunately, that went after the first ride that came available. It wasn't necessarily the best ride. Was not worthy of his talent. And it was really. not, yes. And, and he wasn't able to showcase that talent. And, you know, kudos to him. He stuck it out. And, and I, I can't remember. It wasn't a full season, I don't think. But I, however many races they agreed to, he ran them all. And he, unfortunately, he was a back marker. And he didn't really get to showcase that talent. And so he comes back to the dirt stuff, to uh, running for his dad in the Valvoline 1, and picks right back up where he left off. And, you know, Winning championships and having all the success, um, then the they they never really came out, and I, and I respect it because it's a personal thing. But he, he stepped away on a personal matter. Uh, it was a health issue. They said it, something about his nerves in his hands, nerve endings like and that. stuff. We we never got a full explanation of what was going on, but we just knew it was health related. Um, so. Then you got that coming in, then it comes back, and then, you know, Brandon Shepard's running the best performance uh, car, which is a rocket car. Um, a lot of those cars are actually made, you know, right there at, at Mark's uh, shop. Uh, and then it's pretty much a driver swap, and it's like, I, I could not imagine ride, driving for somebody, like my dad owned the car. I could not imagine driving for somebody else and competing against my dad. That's just weird. Oh, yeah. You know, just thinking like that. And, and it's not a strained relationship. I mean, they're in victory lane together, you know, when they're running together and all that kind of stuff. It's just... As business, I guess. I think I think that might have been just from the outside looking in. Obviously, we don't know everything because it's personal. But I think a lot of it was probably had to be Josh saying, you know, I'm a man. I'm in my mid twenties. I've had success. I think it was probably more of a thing where he wanted to prove to himself my success is not wholly tied to my dad. Yep. I can go do this. I'm responsible enough to go do this. I need to help make a little bit of a legacy for myself and I can I can respect that because no one wants to be a complete clone of their dad right. you know, Richard Petty said that Kyle Petty said that you know Dale Jr. is no clone of his dad he's admitted to that even us as non-drivers just yeah. normal Joes we don't want to be we love our dads but we don't want our carbon copy we want to be our own man yeah and and I think I think Josh felt that if he's Stuck it out with his dad throughout the whole thing, and and all the success they were having. There always be always be that little asterisk, you know, in certain people's minds. Like, yes, he was successful, but he was in, in the top team and getting preferential treatment. He was getting the best chassis, you yeah. know, all the all the best equipment. He's in the house car. They have a racetrack behind their shop where he can go test. I was about to know. say another advantage yeah, that they have. Yeah, I got a racetrack behind their shop where he can go test whenever you want to. And which again, we can't fault the guy for being in that position. You know, that's what everybody's striving to be is is to get in a successful team like that. But I think there would always been that, yeah, but what what could he have done or would he have been as good in X equipment or on yeah. X on X series or you know, Whatever the case may be, I don't think you'll ever see him in something that's not a rocket car. Oh, good that, even <laughs> yeah. when he went to Clint Boyer last yeah. year, it's like brought him yeah, with him. Yeah. He's you're not going to see Josh Richards drive for any other chassis unless something just crazy happens behind the scenes. That scene. would be like me driving something not a Chevrolet. My dad probably disowned me as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that that was one for me. What, what's one from dirt from the years past? Oh, uh, for dirt, I, I am going to go a little homer on this one, but also it was big news. Uh, in 2010, um, Steve Kinzer making an announcement that he's going to go run for Tony Stewart Racing and be teammates with Donnie Schatz. Now, this is obviously towards the, the end of, of, Stewart, uh, Stewart, of uh, Steve Kinzer's you know, success and where he's like the dominant guy, uh, but very significant in the fact that it's, you know, 
for ages to come, it will be, it's, and it's slowly become that way, Kenzer versus Shots as far as greatest of all time. Kenzer obviously is the king of the outlaws, and those, he's got certain records I think will never be broken. But Shots's his run over the last 10, 15 years is very Steve Kenzer-like. Uh, just the amount that he's winning, the amount of championships and things like that. So it's kind of like this generation's greatest versus this generation's greatest. Um, so with that being kind of the rivalry going on, now they're becoming teammates. You know, that's just, that was crazy when it happens. And, you know, running for Tony Stewart, because Kenzie and Tony Stewart, when Stewart never ran Outlaws full-time, but they had some run-ins. I don't know if you remember at the Oh, King, the Eldora one the where Eldora, called him an a-hole. Oh, yeah, Kings Royal, yeah. Um, so we got Kenzie ran into, into by my a-hole teammate, Steve <laughs> Kenzer. The a-hole finally got us. Right. He didn't say a-hole. He spelled it out on TV. <laughs> they, they had some run-ins, so that, that part of it was kind of a shock but uh, I mean you just have to think of any any former motorsports or sports in general where two rivals come together you know that'd be like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird playing on the same team or you know just there it was a friendly rivalry you know they didn't hate each other's guts and stuff you know they helped each other out pit crews helping each other out and all that stuff but uh, to see them come together now as teammates that that was that was a pretty wild one one that did not work out from dirt that I highlighted was uh, when Jonathan Davenport went tried to go back to drive for Barry Wright. This was uh, in 2017. Jonathan Davenport was coming off the year where he had won the Lucas Oil title. Um, he had won that title the previous year with K&L Rumley, with uh, Kevin and Leroy Rumley's number six. Um, had an incredible season. They run full-time again the following year in the sixth car. They don't win the championship, but they still won quite a few races, and the pack kind of caught up to them a little bit. And then it was announced that the Rumleys were not going to run a full-time entry. They were going to kind of take a step back. Jonathan needed a ride. He had previously driven the Barry Wright house car uh, in years past, leading up to when he drove the six. He goes back, and I think everybody kind of just assumes that they're going to be able to recreate the magic and the success. And Jonathan's had so much success the previous two years, and it just doesn't work out. Um, the wins don't come. He, he does win, I think. I race at Virginia Motor Speedway, but it just doesn't work out. And I think they got about halfway through the year or part of the way through the year and they decide to split. Jonathan drives for GR, uh, GR Smith in uh, his red car, wins the World 100, wins the Hillbilly 100. And then that kind of funnels Davenport into the ride that he's in now with uh, Lance Landers and Double L Motorsports. And they've had back-to-back -back years winning the Lucas Oil title, but that little mark in between where I can respect Davenport for trying to go back. He, he and Barry obviously had to have a, a good relationship. What led to them kind of breaking apart was um, when Davenport drove for Clint Boyer and he was driving a Barry Wright, things just didn't work out. And he got booted out of that ride and had to kind of go on his own for a little bit. So that one to me was one that like, I think everybody thought it was just gonna automatically work out, but it just goes to show you that in racing, it's not just, uh, you know, the feelings, you, you, it's gotta be able to work on the technical side and dirt lane model racing changes so much, so much year to year with the technology mm -hmm. that I think they were just behind and yep. it just, something just was not there where it needed to be. Yeah, and, and Barry's, uh, uh, you know, he's an iconic name, hence the name of his chassis being the Icon chassis, but he's an iconic name in their late models. And, you know, he was very prominent on the national tours for a while, and then he kind of scaled back some in age and, you know, just different things. And, and like you said, man, it's the game is changing so much. I mean, even within a year, it'll change um, that if you are not consistently out there, consistently running against the best guys, consistently traveling and testing and stuff, you are going to fall behind. And it's very, very hard to get caught back up. Look at a lot of the chassis right now who are still who are trying to get back in the game and they're pretty much having to give up. GRT, Warrior, struggling very hard. And I think you saw a little bit of that with Barry Wright is that he doesn't have that, that national driver anymore. He has regional success with you know, a plethora of drivers you know, coming and running here and there. Um, yeah, Ross Bales gave him a, a great ride. Yeah, I think yeah. that year, I think after that point I left, Bales kind of filled the seat. Yeah. And he kind of provided the toter and the motors and stuff. Right. But... I mean, that's where you started to see Ross Bales emerge a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it just, it never, the Davenport thing just never clicked because, you know, Davenport steps out of the ride and then Smokey Madden jumps in the ride and darn near wins the, the outlaw, outlaw, title, the outlaw yeah. title. So it's just, you know, 
the how the driver car feel and the adjustability how much you input you get that I've heard you know just tell from behind the tape that you know sometimes that's an issue driver wants this done well crew chief wants this done and you know some guys are able to work with it some guys aren't and I'm not saying you know one way or the other for Davenport but the way he just set the, the late model world on fire in 2015 to see him struggle like wow he is human he ain't Superman you know yeah for for a little bit you know that was a big eye-opener for sure all right so now We'll shift over to open wheel and on this one i'm going to give you first crack oh, at goodness. it because <laughs> i've taken the first crack on the first two so just something from the past and when we say open wheel we mean formula one indy car kind of in those ranks we probably steer more toward indy car and formula one but uh i'll give you the first crack at this one but i, I feel like i know where you're gonna go with this one. <laughs> so i've already got it on my notes give me give me one from the past from open wheel you know i'm gonna i'm gonna spit just a couple out and then we'll just find one to jump on with it okay. uh I, obviously the very first one that pops to mind was lewis hamilton uh jumping to mercedes benz that was 2012 uh, yes that i mean still gets talked about to this day um i think having the the controversy with the uh former teammate and then him stepping out and retiring at 20 some years old uh, uh nico nico uh, nico rossberg, rossberg yeah you know, and him jumping out you know that was pretty pretty wild uh i think a lot of the drivers sw switching and swapping over at red bull um between uh my goodness because they're there for a stretch it was what kimmy rocking and then mark weber yeah. gets the boot um and then sebastian vettel he switches yes yeah, sebastian vettel so that you that, that, those are just the first two you know that kind of come off of my mind as far as that that was just a lot of big switches with big prominent drivers you know every daniel, year daniel yeah, ricardo too daniel ricardo yes yeah going from red bull and what two years ago and then jumping over into the renault ride you know that was a big shot her calls you know Formula One here recently, it's been Mercedes and Ferrari. And Mercedes is, I'd say, I, I don't even going to go 1A, 1B. Mercedes is definitely the team to beat. Yeah. Um, and then Ferrari is right there with them. Uh, and Red Bull is a not-so-distant third. You know, they're going to sneak in about two wins a year, maybe three wins a year. And, um, yeah, and, and with Ricardo there, having success you know he, he was winning about two races a year uh set the pole every now and again and then going to a mid-pack team that one yeah a team that was struggling that was struggling and they're they're king of the mid-pack but i mean just to go from having at least a outside shot at winning to a team that you've got no chance of winning the race with renault yeah so that's, that's those are a couple of big ones i think lewis hamilton's is significant because he was leaving mclaren who had won his first world championship with and going to Mercedes, where now you look at it and you're like, oh, well, Mercedes is great. At the time, Mercedes no. was not proven. This was this was a big gamble for Lewis Hamilton, yep. who is greatest driver of our generation in an yep. open-wheel car. So, I mean, what a humongous gamble. Yep. I mean, it paid off in the end, but, I mean, Lewis, in the back of his mind, he had to be sitting there like, I really hope they're going to follow through on their end because mm -hmm. otherwise I'm going to look like a doofus leaving McLaren, which McLaren at the time was, I mean, that's a, that was a top ride. Right. They've struggled lately, but I mean, you go back to 2012, McLaren's, McLaren's top dog. Absolutely. And you see that, that shift about every, what, maybe six to eight years to where somebody new steps up. And from what I've you know seen in interviews and whatnot, Hamilton was very, what really kind of, made him feel comfortable about it was the amount of R&D that Mercedes was pumping into those cars because you have that car change in 2014 and they were ahead of the game much like you know NASCAR you know Hendrick was way ahead of most everybody else with the car tomorrow and so that's why when they came out of the box they you know were the team to beat again very similar with Mercedes when they make this the car change in the aero package change uh, they were ahead of the game and now you've got like like we said the greatest driver of our generation jumping into the most prepared team that's immediate success nationality also matters because Hamilton leaves McLaren which is a, a United Kingdom Britain based team to go drive for Mercedes which is a German based organization so that matters a little bit too I think sure so you know now I don't think even I don't think Lewis even lives in either one I think he lives in uh, I'm sure he's got a house of both yeah he's probably got he's got the house of Monte Carlo he's got a yacht he's, he's he ain't hurting for nothing. exactly eating vegan all that fun stuff <laughs> uh, one that was a shocker it didn't work and it caused an incredible rift to me in open wheel racing was in 1996 or it was announced for 1996 in IndyCar that the Indianapolis 500 will be locking in 
the top 25 IRL teams, the Indy Racing League team, which was a fledgling league, it had just been started. They announced for 96 that the Indy 500 would lock in this top 25, and the Indy 500 only starts 33 cars, so that only leaves, I'm not a mathematician, but they leave eight spots for kart teams, championship auto racing teams, which was the premier division of open wheel racing in, in the United States. And it forces them to have their own Memorial Day weekend race, the USA 500, and just the incredible divide and split. IndyCar, open wheel racing in America had been split. This threw 10 gallons of gasoline in an open match on mm -hmm. a fire that, I mean, it was already burning. I mean, yeah. this just made it that much worse. I saw no positive that came from all this. No, that, uh, that was pride on display right there. And you're driving the wedge even deeper and to me you know that's that's that nail in the coffin you're you're trying to go head to head with the greatest race in the United States every year, yeah, and it, you know it's not going to work, and and you're just you're splitting that fan base, you're splitting these teams and sponsorship money because you had guys that that had in running both leagues that were pulling from you know the same sponsor, and just like this is the Indy 500, what, you know what are you thinking? Right? Can we here? not keep this neutral? Can, yeah, can we not keep this neutral? You know, talking about being an unsanctioned race, man, I wish that would have been an unsanctioned race right there, just here you because know, it's the greatest spectacle in all of racing. Um, yeah, that's definitely one that, like I said, pride just being on display and just tearing it up. All right, so for those of y'all that hear the audio and might wonder why there are a few clips here and there, this last time we just had to run from outside to inside because it started raining on us <laughs> in the middle of our episode. I feel like this is a, this might be a bad omen for exactly. 2020. We <laughs> our lowest viewership. Yeah, so um, we're talking about open wheel racing. We just wrapped up. The split in 96 that locked Cart out of the Indy 500 and really kind of split the money. You were talking about it right before we had to do a dash. Um, you kind of took one fan base or a fan base worth of people, one fan base worth of sponsors and the tracks, and you split it. It wasn't a split that caused a lot of reproduction because both series ended up kind of going downhill and struggling. You took the same you, you took the same apple pie, and instead of one person enjoying it, you tried to make it for two people to enjoy it, and both were left unsatisfied. And really, kind of the demise of open wheel racing in America is, is what came out of it. Absolutely, and and really has never recovered. You know, outside of the Indy 500, which will always be you know successful, and Indy has never really recovered from it. Yeah. And then kind of just one last one that now is from the past because we're in 2020 that I wanted to make note of was this year, Roger Penske announces that he's buying Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the IndyCar Series, and all the entities that were related. And this is a humongous change because the Holman George kind of lineage family had been in ownership of this stuff since 1945. Mm -hmm. Um, they got it after World War II. The track had fallen into disrepair in Indianapolis. Many locals thought it was going to end up being sold off and turned into housing and stuff. And, and Tony Holman had the vision, had the resources, built it up to kind of what it is today. Because without him, we might not have an Indianapolis 500. It might just be like a page in racing history. Tony George's leadership obviously comes into question. I can't hardly think of anything he did that anybody liked or actually worked out. Uh, we get to this point, and Roger Penske buys it, and a lot of people are they it was they went straight to negative. They're like, "How can this guy do this? You know, he has teams that run in it. Um, you know, this isn't fair. They should have found someone else." I looked at it as, and I'm a Penske homer, but Roger worked, had success enjoyed open wheel racing the fact that he enjoyed it enough to make the purchase they never realized how, they never said how much money it was it had to be an insane number and the fact that he was willing to at his age to buy it and i know him and his people are going to do everything it takes to help build it up because Indy, open wheel racing in general has just kind of stagnated it went downhill and it never came back up Maybe this is kind of the shot in the arm that it needs to at least get back on the track 
to going up. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved hearing this news when it came out, and I immediately I kind of likened it to Tony Stewart buying Eldora. You know, you know, you could call Eldora pretty much the the Indianapolis Motor Speedway of dirt. You know, that's kind of the mecca. It's where the big races are held, and and um, you know the Baltes family had it forever. And it's like, man, Tony Stewart's coming in here. He's a driver. He has teams. You know, much like Penske having teams, um, but. Roger Penske, man, he's just a racer's racer, and through all the struggles that we just noted, you know, he was still involved. He still had teams. He's still pumping money into it, and I mean, he's the cup stuff, the uh, the road racing stuff. Um, Penske just he loves motorsports and he wants to see it succeed. So I'm I'm very excited to see what he has in store for the future, and and you know he's got plans if he's going to scratch that big of a check. And I think when you have instead of having this ownership group who has more money than they have a love for motorsports, you see motorsports in general struggle. Whereas you have the great combination here of somebody who loves motorsports and has the money and the resources to put it all together. So he, he knows it from both sides. He knows it from promoter side, he knows it from car owner side. Um, he sees what works, he sees what doesn't work. Um, I think he sees uh, the future, I think he has a good plan uh, in place. And if he didn't, I don't think they would have sold the track to him oh, yeah. either because you know obviously they want to see their you know investment there pay off as well so I'm, I'm very excited for this news and i look forward to see what all he does not just with the indy 500 uh or that racetrack um but just with any car in general i can it to i think it was oh two or oh three when ted johnson gave up control of the world of outlaws yeah. and just you never would have thought he would have not have been in ownership. And in fact, on the Open Red podcast where they interviewed the, the, the main guy, I forget his darn name, Brian Carter, I think, um, for World Racing Group, and they talk about it actually did go back and forth. Ted retook control. They kind of did what they needed to do on the back end and save the world of outlaws. And, and, and now it's, now it's it, thriving. It, now it looks easy and it's thriving and stuff. But just the fact that someone else is at the wheel. Yeah. You always would, I always would have thought Ted Johnson, World of Outlaws, Holman, George family, whatever, IndyCar. So right. that's that's a big shift. Yeah, the change, change is sometimes good, sometimes bad. Hence what we've talked about all this uh, this whole podcast long about. You know, that's what silly season is, is big changes. But sometimes smaller ones, but bigger changes. And some of them are big swings. And it pans out or it doesn't. I think I really feel like this is one that's going to pan out. So now to wrap things up, looking forward, something that we've seen either happen or something that we know is coming down the pipeline for a particular racing series. What's something that you kind of look ahead to as something that's, it might not, it might be good, it might be bad, just something that's coming that you're gonna keep an eye on. I'll, I'll give you an example from mine. Mine is with NASCAR, this next generation car. They keep testing it. They're talking about, you know, the, the wheels look different, the car itself looks different, the car's off the ground a little bit. But there's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety on the, on the back end side of it about, uh, people losing jobs, not needing fabricators, uh, or maybe as many fabricators. There's a lot of kind of unknowns about what's coming next year in the NASCAR Cup Series. So that's kind of one that I'm kind of looking forward to just to see how it's going to pan out. NASCAR's played with the aero package with the current car that they have. They've gotten it right at the mile and a half. So they've gotten it wrong on the short tracks. What will the new car do? as far as what they finally kind of settle on as far as finalizing how this car is going to look, how it's going to race, how are the drivers going to adapt to it, and which teams are going to adapt to it. Because like you said, Hendrick adapted to the car tomorrow better than anybody, and they had success. Others fell behind. This last car that came out, Roush is an organization I looked at. They fell way behind. So I'll be interested to kind of see what's – everybody knows it's coming. It's taken another year to work on. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be a lot of anxiety and build up to it. So that's something that's kind of off in the distance. I'm keeping an eye on as far as well. It's something that will really shape the future of NASCAR and whether it it, it succeeds. Um, for me, uh, I'm very curious with the some of the changes that are announced for Formula One coming up. Um, exciting to see. Uh, we have new track um, added to the schedule this year that, that was actually purpose-built uh, in Vietnam. Um, that, that's being added to the schedule. Uh, they've expanded the schedule uh, three more races uh, this year. So the interest is there. Um, that sport is continuing to grow. It's already worldwide most popular, um, which is kind of odd too because they had lower viewership TV-wise this year. Uh, Sky Motorsports takes over um, 
So just kind of thanks Sky Motorsports as ESPN across the seas pretty much. Uh, but it's a pay-per-view for uh, several countries. So that hurt their viewership a lot. But as far as um, track attendance, fan attendance, um, the interest being shown by teams, um, Glad to see it's growing and expanding. Glad to see tracks being built in countries um, and adding to it. And then, much like the NASCAR stuff, they announced earlier last year a uh, new car design for 2021 um, to just kind of close that gap between your upper echelon teams and the, and the lower guys. Um, a big swing on the aero package. Um, just I won't go into all the geometry stuff with the front wings and whatnot. And kind of their goal is to prevent somebody from just you know, walking, walking like Mercedes. The yeah, yeah, just taking off and, and just building up a 30 second lead. Um, it, the closing rate for these new cars and the testing has been ridiculous. And their hope is that the with these changes, they'll, they won't even have to have the DRS anymore. So you just get behind the car, much like drafting, you know, for your NASCAR fans at Daytona and Talladega, just that punching the hole and allowing somebody to kind of draft up to you, suck up to you. Um, and a lot of the, the tracks they go to, just about all of them have a long straightaway, and that's where, you know, you see, you know, your Mercedes or your Ferrari that's four miles an hour faster, you know, halfway down the straightaway versus, you know, a Renault or a Toro Rosso or something. So uh, very excited to see that, and, and with the changes and just the expanding of the schedule it's a good sign for the the health of the sport so hey pretty good silly season rack up buddy uh, appreciate uh, your time very much as always sir and maybe next time uh, nick this further proves why we need a studio <laughs> yes. which i will draw out of the inheritance when whichever rich <laughs> relative i have dies so we will build a studio because the dog got us and the rain got us that today soundproof <laughs> and weatherproof that's what we need exactly but uh, appreciate it as always yes brother. sir always Thank you for listening to yet another edition of the Half Price Concessions Podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, we sincerely appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode or any of the episodes we've put out. Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button if you listen to this podcast on a podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Himalaya, Castro, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. So whichever app you listen to us on, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a rate and review. It helps us out a ton. It really, really does. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at HPC Podcast, and also find us on Facebook by searching for The Half Price Concessions Podcast. You can also find all of our episodes on our website, www.anchor.fm slash HPC podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you have a great day. This episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast is brought to you in part by our friends at Performance Center Racing Warehouse. Located in Statesville, North Carolina, Performance Center Racing Warehouse provides racers with just about everything you need to go asphalt late model racing, including being the home of the PRW chassis. From a full-blown fabrication shop to services that can help you get your race car reclipped if you've been in the wall one too many times or you just need to get your racing program straightened out. Give Roger Johnson and the folks at Performance Center Racing Warehouse the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 and visit them online at performancecenter.com. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-N. T-E-R dot com.